0: I woke up this morning with the sun down,
1: shining in him.
0: Oh. Where's the money, Lebowski?
1: Where's the fing money, head? Oh, it's uh, off.
0: Oh, oh, uh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown. Well, I won't
2: pay and jacks sometime. How Andrew on The board SB Futures up down 1250. As they features down 44. We had a little bit of a update yesterday and it looks like we're taking that away here today before the central bank meets today and tomorrow so we'll get the big announcement tomorrow Uh, do we have Mr. Dan? Yes Mr. Dan Janaitis from Kratis Capital on a rare Tuesday would you rather be out with uh, Brandon uh, running around in a jeep looking at lions and elephants? (laughs) Yeah (laughs) I have no desire to do that but uh, I don't know people do I guess it's a safari I guess you know whatever yeah yeah I guess I'd, I'd do it once, you know, I don't do something, everything. It's a long way down there, though. It was a flight to...
0: It is a long way, yeah. It is a long flight to get there.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I'm... I'd have to be in one seat. I couldn't be in, like, a coach seat with some guy's back uh, chair on my knees. Oh,
0: right. Yeah, uh, exactly.
2: Or I can always go on your private jet, you know. This is true. <laughs> yeah, you know, everybody's got to have one of those. Hey, uh, um, what do you, first of all, even though we, we're going to talk about... Uh, The the European debt situation that we never get a chance to talk to on Thursday. Um, What do you make of this? uh, All the hewing and crying about the meeting tomorrow, for God's sake, or today? Um, God, yesterday. I mean, the whining is reaching like a massive level, and we're still at two and a quarter, and the the balance sheet is like up this year. I mean, it's not like these guys have done all that much.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I I think it's pretty much built in. um, You know, seventy-five basis points is already built into the market. And I, what people are doing, which which we do as investment people, um, sometimes, and, and um, it's not always the best thing, but they're looking forward a little bit too far forward, and already looking for when the pivot happens. In other words, when we go from a tightening um, stance to a um, you know a more um, uh, you know an easing um, of credit and. That doesn't happen overnight, and it's very difficult to predict. And we have to first see what's going to happen from these rate increases that we've had already and that that impact on the economy rather than trying to predict when that pivot is going to happen. And I think there's a lot of um, predominantly like more of a growthy um, equity managers out there who really don't understand the credit markets that are that are really just looking for some, you know, trying to be as optimistic as possible and looking for that that time and place when this is going to shift. And although our our um, time horizon for investment is long-term, our view needs to be a little bit more, you know, in terms of understanding the, the economy and the impacts on the longer-term economy, we need to look at what's going on today. So today, you know, all we know right now is that the Fed is, um, talking about continuing to raise rates and continue continuing to fight inflation, so I do agree with you. I think there's there's just too much focus on that, and you know maybe a little less focus on some of the uh, the actual economic variables. And I I think some people are trying to take things like the job, what's going on with the um, labor market in the U.S. and the in the you know the, the tightening in the job market, if you will, and look at that as like hope for the future rather than realizing that this You know this, um, what I call dislocation in the job market, and the fact that we do have a lot of um, parts of the market, the labor market, that are still um, there's still a fair amount amount of slack. In other words, there are still jobs available, um, and I think that is going to work its way out um, as time goes on. But it's very difficult to predict the time frame. I can say that that's going to work itself out, but I can't tell you how long it's going to take.
2: Well, I, and
0: trying to trying to judge like what's going to happen because it's been a while since the Fed has increased rates, so for for an investment manager to, or or an economist to try to predict what's going to happen in this environment, I think is very difficult.
2: Um, you know, I, I think it is too. I mean, I as much as we uh, try to have all the answers, Dan, you and yeah. I, uh, I get it is, too because I've never seen. When I I mean, yesterday I was kind of on a rant. And I was saying that. In, in my lifetime, the, the the Fed deserves an F the whole way. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you look I'm at not too far behind, if, you know, if they're if they're supposed to be maintaining steady growth, they've done really nothing like that since 1968 when they came off the gold standard. I mean, it's. Uh, but I mean, I think you're sort of either in e- even the guys that aren't don't consider some monetarists. You're either in one of one of two camps, and camp one is. Uh, the followers of the guy who said inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon, in the sense that it is and can be produced only by a more rapid increase in the quantity of money than in output. Y- if you're in that camp, all this other Foster. stuff that you hear all day long about—what about the supply chain? What about this? What about gasoline? What about right. you know the the uh, central oil thing that they're giving? Them, that doesn't make any difference at all. If, if, if you're if you're in camp yeah. one, all you're doing is chasing it from one spot to another. And uh, if you're, but if you're in Camp One, I'm going to say I'm, I've never seen anything quite like this, where they have really bulged the money supply. I don't know, somewhere between thirty-five and forty percent, in a, in really a two and a half year period, and now really have stopped the growth of the money supply. So now you've got this inflation because it's uh, you know it, it's a lagging indicator, certainly in the way you count it. On, on purpose or otherwise, it's a lagging sort of thing. It took a while to start coming through. Now it's coming through, and even though I think that the accelerator has kind of been turned off, it's going to keep coming through because you, because it's a lagging thing. You haven't even you haven't even put the part in there about the uh, prices at home and uh, homes and stuff. So I mean it's going to keep happening. But the Fed really it we're getting so used to these negative or these low numbers, two and a quarter percent or two and a half where it is right now, or even three after t- tomorrow is not exactly a restrictive number, but they have shut down the growth of the money supply. So I think if they just continue to do this, they will eventually corral the inflation number. Now the question is, they're not going to do anything with the price level, okay? because the price level is what it is, unless you start dragging money out of the system, which I don't see them doing. And th- But the price level is still going to have this bulge, and you kind of hope that people's paychecks grow into that over the next few years which is I think is a man that's a that's a risky game but it's also risky trying to pull the money out I, I don't even know what I'd do man honest with you
0: yeah I, I think that talk is probably you know like I'm saying that I think that it'd be too soon to try to see what happens but they did pivot if you will if you look back to December was it December of 18 where they kind of overshot and then they were forced to pivot and, and that's I think that you know I think the market was down around 20% in a short period of time but then it quickly came back after the first of the year um, when they when they resumed the the um, the uh, you know the, the, the gradual cutting of rates you know they, they resumed that and I think it was when they overshoot you know the market responds and I think the market is smart in terms of looking especially the bond market um Looking at what is happening, you know, and what the Fed is predicting, but I also agree with you. I think big picture that it's it's a shame we have to put this much attention on the Fed and where I think the attention is focused. The reason now that the attention is focused here, whereas it may not have been during the last time that we saw a tightening cycle, is that technology represents a much larger portion of the equity markets. You know, S and P, Nasdaq. And as a result, those companies are particularly sensitive to higher short-term rates. And we have seen a pretty significant rise this year in short-term rates, despite the fact that the Fed is at around two and a half right now. Uh, the rate is is around two and a half now. We've seen an increase from basically nothing to almost, to about 4% on the one-year key bill. And that's nearly four you know, 400 basis points in a short period of time, and so there will be an impact. That well, impact I mean, will come.
2: That's not, um, but Dan, that's not to be not expected. I mean, the other this is this is the part that we you know. I think you and I bring out together is that the, the the life we've been leading the last three or four years is fantasy land.
0: Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely agree. with I that
2: mean, I mean, you're you're right. I mean, we, we we went to auction yesterday for some people for uh, six months, and I think we got. I don't know, three eight, three nine, somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it's still there's two there's two formulas. One is about is about the amount of money going in the system. The other is your interest rate when you loan somebody money. And, and this is this is got yeah, the first economics class I ever took. How I many years ago was that? The, the the amount of interest is supposed to be the real interest rate of which there's supposed to be something because why would you give somebody your money for free, right? That, that's right. a bad market. So say that's. Pick a number, two percent or something, two or three, which it has been for like through centuries. Right. <laughs> you, you, you have to also say, okay, well, if the dollar or the yen or the whatever it is, the amount of stones in the world or the value of stones is declining, you you got to give me back interest plus the decline in whatever I'm giving you. So even though four percent sounds a lot higher than it was, and it is, it still doesn't begin if we if you think that your inflation the next year is going to be eight percent. You just made the world's worst deal, although it's better than it was a few months ago. I mean, it's because you, you're giving money, somebody money for four percent when they're giving it back to you. It's they're like giving you ninety six cents on the dollar. I mean, you're, you're not, right. So it's, it's I know,
0: and, and I agree with you. Although I think what the, what we don't know, I mean, we know the direction, but we don't know know necessarily the the timing of, of when it's going to happen. And I think that's one thing I've learned from you know many many years yeah. in the business is you can predict the the direction that the market's going in or that, that the Fed is going in or that rates are going in or, um, or spreads, you can predict the, the direction, but you can't always predict the timing. Oh, I mean, no, you can predict one or the other. It's very difficult to, um, to be able to predict the timing, the amount, and the direction at the same time. So that's the, that's really the um, I think the, the question that, that most investors are looking at right now is, is when is this going to happen, how long is it going to take and what is the amount going to be you know how how much are we going to actually see so there will be a point though where this crosses so that the 4% on the one year is suddenly going to become 5% um, i would say by year end that would be my call at least 5%
2: and saying, huh? then
0: and if inflation comes down a little bit to you know say like our inflation read at the end of the year is around 6% um, or 5% now we're getting closer and into the into next year i think is when we're going to those two rates are going to merge. Well, so no, they, no, you know, no. The increase and in inflation starts coming down, and as we talked before, the new rate, the, you know, looking at the target of two is probably too um, low. Looking at a target of you know between three and a half and four, maybe a better place to um, be, and maybe that's where they eventually come out. But trying to predict what they're going to do is tough. And the only the only thing I could say is the last meeting they did what they were what was anticipated if they do seventy five, I think the market gets more comfortable because that's probably where they should be on this on this call. It doesn't mean it's um it doesn't mean that we have no idea what's gonna happen in the future and it's hard to predict the next I mean things change so quickly in in our market. It's very hard to predict what's going to happen and what numbers are going to come out and um, this is sort of a I think we have to look at this month to month and and it's it, it can change very quickly. So so I think you need to, you know, in terms of looking at investment opportunities in this market and where you should be, you know, I've, I've said before, <clears throat> I'm not necessarily bullish on the equity market, uh, and especially on the higher beta or the, the riskier or the technology names. And we, <clears throat> it really isn't our thing, but we've moved further away from it. We have that exposure and we're moving further away. And at some point the the trade from equities into into bonds makes sense if you can get even though we you know I agree with you that you're you're not getting um, as much but if you're gonna put it if your other option is cash, you're getting right. a whole oh, yeah. lot more in the one year
2: Absolutely, t- to go right now. Absolutely.
0: So so gradually moving and again, you know, maybe um, for people who have high conviction in some of their their stock names, you know, the, the higher Risk or the you know the, the some of the the higher beta stock names keep those if you feel comfortable with them and
2: then balance that with some some well, T bills. Yeah, the, um, uh, the you mentioned the uh, the 2018 alleged fiasco where the Fed the I, mean, I must have heard 15 people yesterday say the big mistake the Fed the Fed made it the there was a mistake there the mistake wasn't having zero interest rates. I mean you you ran the market up but. You can't, I mean, the, the difference between a stock valuation at 1% interest and 4 is dramatic. I mean, you and I know that the math is simple. So, I think what a lot of people are forgetting, and I do want to get on this international stuff here, uh, what people are forgetting is, during the COVID situation, or let's say the last three years, the market is up 35 to 40%. Right. On nothing. There, there was no increase in output, no increase in, in other than inflation, there was no increase in, in real activity. So, if if you start to wean yourself off of that, shall we say, uh, manna from heaven, meaning money, of course the market's going to come back down because it shouldn't be there in the first place. It's not, a, it's not a mistake of the Fed for the market to come down here a little bit. It was a mistake it being up in the first place, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think getting to this level, and I, I think the lessons should have been learned from Japan, you know, what happened in Japan and what happened even in Germany Yeah. as well. When you go negative, it's not good for the economy. <laughs> I mean, it just it, it it just doesn't work. Yeah, and and we're kind of. I think the good news about having these rate increases is that it's going to get us more in a a you know long term. I don't want to I want to use the word normal, but more. I think it's going to be a better. We're going to be in more. We're going to be in the equilibrium, and that's the point that we really need to get to. Right. And we're still not there. No. So until we get there, I think you know increases. One of the other things is the timing is just knowing that the timing of making a change in rates is going to impact what happens down the road and it's sort of a lag effect that we end up seeing but one thing that has happened here and and we've talked about this and I think this goes along with your point is that the the new investor if you will or the investor in in this time period the last like you said three or four years is someone who has really been focused on you know the either the, the you know, the, the um, tech names that you know that they have done well, the Amazons and the Facebooks and the Googles because they've made money and they're they're they've gotten into this without realizing it, they've created this environment where they just think these these stocks can go to the moon and we need a correction. We need valuations to get back in order and you know, I wouldn't be buying something with a big multiple right now, um there are, I'm sure there are great stock ideas out there, and we and we think we have a few, but but I'd be looking at the direction that we're going and in, in, in the fact that we're coming back into a quality repricing or getting back into that normal or equilibrium state that we've been away from for so long. Now, the one interesting thing, though, is if you look at credit spreads, and again, that's the difference between the yield on the average corporate bond and the, and the average treasury of about the same maturity and if you look at investment grade that spread is around 140 Uh, that means you're getting 1.4 percent more on that corporate bond than you are on the comparable treasury well think about it now that might that's about the average spread for investment grade but think about it now you've already added a couple of um you know three or four percent more if you're looking at the short end of the curve and then high yield being at about plus four 80, 487, actually, I think it was last night, that is literally the average spread of high-yield historically. Okay. So, yeah, that's, a, that's just about where it is. So you add that 487 to a 4% on a one-year, and you're getting 887. If you're able to find an average bond, for example. So that's, not a, that's becoming very attractive. Now, the question is, do those spreads widen out or do they tighten? And what has happened is, and this has happened in other countries as well, is as interest rates have gone up, um, those spreads have tightened. And the reason being is that there's been a flight, there has been a flight out of equities and into uh, quality, and quality being bonds. And now people are seeing that, (coughs) like me, especially with (coughs) with our strategy, we're seeing that we can get more yield now in the bond market. So suddenly on the high yield the average high yield bond a one-year bond if you're able to get seven and a half eight percent that's pretty good so there's there's there are are new investment opportunities what i'd say about the international picture is maybe with the exception of china I mean, china's talking about cutting rates china scares me because there's you have sovereign risk you also have a risk of the dollar remaining stronger than any form any um, international um, currency and you also have um the difficulty in getting information not only on what's going on in the the economy and, and you know sovereign and, and these these huge um cutbacks and and uh you know the, who knows if they're going to be have more lockdowns going forward so there's there's a i think it's a very difficult market to um it, it, you know to understand and to to invest in on the debt side, um, on the corporate side, if you're looking at particular companies, uh, corporate bonds, it becomes even more difficult. And they don't have the experience in their market. They don't have the years of experience with corporate debt that we do. So when you talk about something like mortgage debt, it gets even more complicated. I'm not sure that we can really predict the bottoms. In China, I think it's very difficult. There are too many other, influences, um, other things going on. And that's why I
2: say, at least compared to China, U.S. is a good investment. Well, I think you know, too, Dan. I, I have a, a kind of shift just a hair here, but there's like I'm, I'm looking at like four things here, and I, I don't know how to quantify these. That's that's what that's what I have you for. Uh, I got about 2.3 trillion in U.S. equivalent, in dollar-denominated debt coming out of China, which means it's not it, it's direct lo- loans from here to some place, provinces to corporate wherever wherever it is. And like you say, there's an interest on that that continues to get worse and worse as the dollar strengthens. There's That's like, number one, I can't quantify. Number two is, you've got the European Central Bank that bought a whole bunch of bonds at negative interest rates that are now trading 1.8% or something. Right. right. That, that portfolio has to look like dog bleep. Uh, not to mention, the places that they bought them from, I don't know if they're going to be able to roll them over if all of a sudden they have to pay interest, you know, Whoever the hell it could be, it could be Crete, could be somewhere. Um, Russian debt, I don't know. And and then all this crypto, you know, Bitcoin ducking below nineteen thousand yesterday. There's a trillion something there. These things look like landmines, but I can't quantify them. I don't. I can't even put them in order. And I don't trust the Fed to keep their eye on them because they never have. That's their job, tr- right. and they never have.
0: So it's, I, not, it's not been their focus, and it really hasn't been a, a part of. It hasn't been an ingredient, or if you will, or a factor in making their decisions, but 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 they should be focused on on what's happening globally because our economy is global, and what you know the, if the U.S. is leading because there's you know we're con- we're still considered the flight to quality, we're going to continue to get foreign investment. Um, we're right you know where, where Europe is right now I think is difficult because I see Europe being behind us. I also see them having more struggles. We had looked at some, some European credits and actually had invested in some, which we've moved out of just because we see more spread widening in credits in Europe. And spread widening is not a good thing. And we're seeing not only U.S. investors moving out of um, U.S. stocks and, and riskier investments into bonds, but we're also seeing foreigners coming in and doing the same, coming to the U.S. So there, it's, it's a difficult call um, in Europe—it's an almost impossible call with Asia and China, and even Japan. Um, And those countries are going to take the sovereign risk. In those countries, ends up becoming so you've got to have that in your spread. You've got to be paid for that sovereign risk, and that that spread, that part of your spread, if you will, it has to be pretty high right now. And and if it's not, it's not even worth looking at. And yes, I agree. At some point, you know, the Chinese. property market, as they call it in in London, or the, you know, the real estate market, as we call it, has uh, really been under a huge amount of pressure and and really, um, you know, traded down significantly. At some point, there might be an opportunity there, but I would rather do it through a vehicle that is either a global vehicle that participates in China, China real estate or China property, or in something that, you know, like an ETF or something that might be more... um, uh, you know, give you, give you broad, you know, much broader, um, you know, exposure so that you can diversify, uh, the risk. I think it's too early for that. It's definitely too early for Europe. Um, I would stick with, with, uh, U.S. I think both high yield and U.S. investment grades look good. I would stay away from mortgages also, whether it be international or domestic. And the reason is mortgages don't perform well when we have a lot of volatility in interest rates. Well, we've seen a huge amount of volatility this year in interest rates. Not a good time for, for mortgage investment. Plus, if you think about the pressure on mortgages in general, if you look at people who have adjustable rate mortgages, um, those are you know becoming less attractive as rates go higher. And we don't see any, I don't see any end in that. I mean, the 10-year, um, you know, the 30-year fixed I think it's six forty two or six forty five. Um, we're getting close to seven percent. So yeah. those and if we know the direction, the direction is telling us the direction is still higher and it's telling us that it's not a good investment. So so where I think there is opportunity are some of the names that we've spoken about before. You know, there's some specific names that have some yield still. We talked about uh S V C which is a, a REIT here that has a maturity of nine months. And you can still get a nice five and a half to six percent return on that. Talk about Buckeye BPL, um, which has a four fifteen to uh, July first uh, of twenty three, five and a half to six percent, and those are good. You know that that's some good yield. Interestingly, Tom, though, some of the names we've spoken about, the spreads have tightened, yeah, and they don't look like buys anymore. On the, on you know, if you're looking for an offer. The other thing that's widened, which you'll understand, is that bid offer spread, and that happens as credit starts coming under pressure and as the markets become less liquid. And I'm looking at ADT bonds that mature, I mean, they mature in um, nine months, but I'm looking at the yield at 420.
2: Yeah, Dan, we, gotta, so, we have to dash your Bubba, you're, you're right, I, we'll talk more about it on Thursday at a regular slot, but uh, we've been able to get the SVC, one of the ones, every time we go out to buy it, the guy pulls the offer, it's- I mean, nobody wants, I mean It's hard to get somebody to trade, but the SBC we have we have been able to get for some people. Yeah,
0: we haven't. You know, we we we, we buy uh, directly from Interactive, and they they're using eight or ten different um, brokers. So we we're, uh, we haven't had any problem doing that. Um, and for the people who are looking to get even more conservative, if you can buy what we call off the run Treasuries, if you can buy Treasuries in the secondary market, and you can do it through Interactive brokers, um, and that's what we do. You can pick up an extra 10, 15, 20 basis points if you look at a, a treasury in the secondary market that's been issued, um, you know, in the past and has now become, say, a one year, whereas it wasn't a, you know, yeah. was, you know, the one years that we were buying yesterday mature on September seventh.
2: Well, Dan, uh, we got a dashboard. Let's let's talk about how you do that on Thursday because we've been we've been going right to the auctions, which is another you know a trick. We I mean. Either one of them is good. All right, take care of yourself. But well, I talk to you a regular on Thursday. Obviously, yep, we have a lot to talk perfect. about. SP yep. futures that's down 15, NASDAQ futures down 54. Didn't really expect this. Be right back, Stacks and jacks.
3: How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox.
2: Hello and welcome back to Stocks and the Accent. I'm Howe. Andrew on the board. SP and p features now 1450. Nasdaq features down 49. So we're down some ahead of the Fed meeting. We're not horrible. Uh, Dow features down 90. A little interesting because we have a couple that are up, and we have Boeing that's up 312. We had healthcare up two bucks. It's uh, going against Nike, which is down 241 as they get downgraded. Microsoft down a buck 37. So uh, mostly red in the Dow, but a couple that are up pretty decent. Over in, over in Europe, we've got. Uh, the DAX down 72.6%. FTSE down 11 cents. I guess we'll call that one flat. round down 447 So FTSE's the one that's hanging even the day after the the Queen's burial. In Asia, we've got up 120.4%. Nikkei, that is. The Shanghai up 6. Call that flat. Hang Sang with a little bit of a bounce here. Up 215, 1.1%. But still 18,781. So under 19,000 still. Uh, bands up 5 basis points, 354 I think that's... Uh, 15-year uh, high um, in the 2-year, this, this is the 10-year, but the 2 years at a 15-year high. Uh, the Bund, uh, up 11 base points, 1.90. How's that look with all those zillions of dollars worth of bonds in there at under under 0? Those bonds are got to be looking pretty bad. Uh, Japan unchanged at 0.25, we've got oil up 7 cents, 85.80, Brent up 2 cents, 92.02. So the oil market stays, staying calm and relatively low. Natural gas up two cents, seven seventy-seven. Arab, R- R- up two cents, two forty-eight. We've got gold down a buck 76 Silver down a penny, nineteen thirty-four. As these markets are, are lost in the middle here too. Uh, copper down a penny, three point five. Although some people are calling for big rises in copper, I don't know where they're seeing that. But that's all I, I was hearing yesterday. Uh, crypto, Bitcoin down $1. a buck 19,257, but still above nineteen thousand. Uh, Ram down a buck, thirteen fifty-seven. We have the U.S. dollar is uh, um, right, right exactly to a buck with the Europeans, So they're at parity. Uh, the pound is back over one point one four. So uh, I guess it's a little bit better if you're if you're looking for the dollar to weaken just a little. What do you have for us? traffic, weather, sports. A lot of sports last night. A couple of football games.
6: Yeah, yeah. Uh, right now it's six thirty-five in Chicago. It's Tuesday the twentieth. And for the sports, uh, last night in MLB, the Cubs lost to the Marlins 10-3 and the Diamondbacks fell to the Dodgers in a 5-2 game. But today, both of them can try to make up for it as today the Cubs play the Marlins again at 540 and the Diamondbacks play a doubleheader against the Dodgers at 210 and 910. Now for weather in Chicago, it's mostly cloudy, 68 degrees with a high of 79 and a low of 63. And in Phoenix, it is mostly cloudy, again, at 87 degrees, with a high of 97 and a low of 79. Now, for Chicago traffic, thankfully, there are no major accidents or delays to report right now. However, traffic is building, as it always does, on the Stevenson, Eisenhower, and the Jane Adams. That's all we got today. Back to you, Chief. Do we have Mr. Joel? Good morning. Uh,
7: Good morning. Good morning, Chief.
2: How you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? Oh, man. I'm...
7: I'm just, I'm just
2: so excited about the Fed meetings. Yeah, isn't that? Uh, um, someone, just so. My, <laughs> I got a guy. Get a load of this. Uh, he claims that the last few Fed meetings they've actually been like 30 minutes long. That's it. Is that true?
7: Well, the meetings, I mean, the meetings are one thing, the outcome, three-quarters of a point, or will they go a stick? And then it's just testimony afterwards. I mean, we all know what moves this market, and, you know, he wants to say the economy is slowing down, it's weak, we're going to have higher unemployment, supply chains are easing, you know, he you want to hear bad news. That's all you want to hear is bad news that the economy is slowing down and the Fed is finally putting a dent in inflation, which the last CPI number did not
2: reveal. Um, how much have I talked about all the time, but I'd rather have your opinion than mine. Um, <laughs> how much has the Fed got themselves, and, and this, is, this isn't this is them necessarily, because it's not their, not their number, I guess. How much of a trick bag do they have themselves in by the fact that the CPI numbers are just lagging? They've always been lagging. True.
7: They? Oh yeah, they do. They do. Um, actually, we had an economist on our show from uh, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, Blue Putman, and he told us that he told us that months ago that we were being way too optimistic for this to, uh, you know, uh, for it to full through. He talked about four, five, six months, and that sure that sure uh, playing out. But I do. Do you want one maybe slightly positive thing I'm yeah. really not sure is true?
2: Yeah. We want I pie, heard
7: that if it wasn't for the massive increase in school lunches, that the CPI would have been down.
2: Um.
7: That the input costs for the kids going back to school to start buying in August—that it was just through the roof—and that's what messed it up. And I did have some statistics uh, that showed that. I don't have them in front of me, uh, so it's a stretch that it's a seasonal thing, but I guess we're not going to know until October.
2: I'm going to say that uh, I did notice that. It was up like 23% year over year. Because um, I, I, I was going through the numbers the other day. I'll see if I can find it. But yep. uh, I think that, that the percentage of the basket is so low that I don't think it makes any difference. I,
7: I, I, I said. I, I'm just giving you some information. Do you know how much uh, white milk and chocolate
2: milk were when I went to school? I'm going <coughs> to... Um, they had they they got them right out of the cow back then, didn't they?
7: No, the little cartons.
2: Oh, they they had cartons when you were in school. That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just giving you a grief. You I'm going to say that. they were nickel.
7: You're, you're exactly right, G. You got to be right, around My a nickel, but like if you wanted to pay up for the chocolate milk, you had to pay
2: a dime.
7: Yeah. Um. But, here, uh, here's the they, number. First of paying, all, you? I mean, the other thing I want to point out is. Can we go
2: two days with someone not wanting about Q3 earnings? Oh, God. Oh, here, just so you know, uh, whoever told you that, I was just mentioning this to Andrew on the way in. There's there's two numbers here you have to watch out for. One is the increase or decrease, right, as it affects you, and the other is the weighting they give it to your basket. All right, so food at employee sites and schools, not just schools, employee sites, was up 23.7% year over year. All right, but it's it's point zero four percent of your basket, so it's it's negligible. That it, 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 it doesn't doesn't that okay. could be a, that could be a hundred percent, and it's not going to hit the big big number at all. Okay, well, I told
3: you I
7: was being optimistic. So. Well, for
2: instance, the um, the full service meals uh, away from home, they're up nine percent. They're two point four percent of your basket, so they're they're what up sixty times more in the basket than. Uh, than the the fooded schools.
7: Hey, we were all full. We saw crude come down. We saw some of the commodities <laughs> come down. We were all full. It was a major rug pull. Hurt the market. Um, the only thing, you know, I mean, I'm the only thing I'm like hoping for, and I have, and there's no way to know until we know. When did we turn? When did we make the low for the year, Chief? We made the low for the year in June. We made the low during the June expiration. Okay, we undercut that low yesterday, but we rallied. That's my bogey. That's what I'm keeping on. We take out that low. We close below it. Then say hello to 3,600. That's, that's that's. We did, we didn't take that's out 3, the. Uh... That's what the market's telling me, Chief.
2: Which low are you talking about? We didn't the uh the low on the spider was uh like, if the spider the low was like three sixty one and we're still at 386. Are you looking at the cues? What are you looking at? I'm looking at the
7: June S and P. I'm
2: looking at the S and P cash index. Okay, well I, I got the spider low at like three sixty something in June, and it's three eighty six. Well I'm
7: talking the S and Ps. I'm talking the real market. Okay. I'm not talking the Spider. Okay.
6: Well, okay. I'm gonna... All right. Listen,
7: I got a, I got a, I got a busy show today. I gotta hop. All right. So, um, I'll catch you next week. We haven't been talking Michigan football yet. I'm a little worried. We play Tua's little brother, uh, Talia, and uh, Tagovola. He played good. I hope he doesn't play like his brother did um, against the Ravens. So, go Blue. Talk to you next <laughs> All week. All right, but
2: but Take care of yourself. SB Futures down 16. ASU Futures down 59. Be right back, Mister Kenny Polkery.
5: Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, owner of Home Source Realty and frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks radio show. If you're thinking about purchasing real estate this summer, could be a good time to shop around. Whether you're a novice or seasoned investor, low interest rates and good inventory make adding bricks and mortar investment to your portfolio an interesting possibility. Many a great fortune has begun with the purchase of property. Call me today for your personal investment consultation, and I would be happy to get you started on your path to prosperity. You can reach me at Johnson at realtor.com or call me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456.
8: Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market, along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks. You are out of control. Right here.
2: Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now stocks and Hello, Hobbit, stocks and jacks. I'm Tom you, I had run the board. SP futures down almost. They are down 18. Nasdaq futures down uh, 67. We've got the Dow futures are uh, are down uh, 90 now. We got individual stocks. We got United Healthcare up almost two bucks. We've got Boeing up three bucks. Everything else is red in the Dow. That's open. Well, uh, open and pre-market. Uh, so I guess that's Nike's the one that got downgraded. Is a uh, down 237. Trade 104.84. Uh, so they came out. Ether is, but there's, there's really not a whole lot of good news in the headlines here. The uh, Sweden C- Sweden Central Sweden Central Bank launches a 100, 100 basis point rate hike. Said the inflation is too high. Uh, so we're seeing you know the drumbeat are, are kind of coming around the world here. All of a sudden, I don't know why these guys are so slow on this, but uh, that, that's their story. And uh, I, I just wonder how many how many more stocks, if any are gonna be like the Federal Express where they just come out and say well here's what we see going forward and the stack opens down twenty percent and all of a sudden just there it is and I don't know how many more stacks uh, they used to call that in the uh... when I first came on the trading floor where a stack could be trading like a hundred and all of a sudden it's like fifty well there weren't a lot at hundred but they'd be trading forty and all of a sudden it was fifteen they call that the trap door where you just were here you are at one level and now you're on the other without any any warning or then all of a sudden you're at a new level and there isn't anybody saying, well, this thing deserves to be back up again, because Federal Express really hasn't rallied at all off the uh, the bottom here. And uh, you just wonder, it, it, it can't just be them. And then all of a sudden you hear everybody saying that Federal Express has no, has, you know, there are people who say that your Federal Expresses, your railroads, and your UPSs are the absolute thumb on the pulse of the market, and those are the ones you really have to watch. And there's other people that say they don't mean anything anymore. So, you don't really know who to believe anywhere if you listen all day long but uh, the one thing you do have to listen to is in most places I um, they don't they don't have you know the professors and people on like we do where we're trying to get at what the real story is most people are talking their book and we don't really have anybody here who does that uh, even me who's <laughs> who has a job as a money manager and as a brokerage firm uh, but um, you know you really have to uh, uh, concern yourself when you are listening to that and I since I've been doing a lot of, of uh, work with places other than PTI and our protected programs and stuff you see a lot of other people's portfolios and it it really is weird you can almost tell what what, what TV station they watch by what stocks they have and uh, and they're believers I mean everybody's these are you know the Apple is not a stock it's a it's a religion I and mean, it's a cathedral and uh, you know I don't know I mean it so far, those people have been right, and they've done very well with it, and it's not up to me to say they're, they're wrong today or they were wrong before, because they weren't. And uh, all I know is that uh, back in 2000, people felt the same way about Cisco. They felt the same way about Oracle, and you know, that, that turned out so well. Now, uh, Microsoft was part of that group, and then for years you didn't make anything, and the stack went down, and it was a horrible situation. Then all of a sudden, if you'd hung on, if you were the long-term person for 20 years, you ended up coming, you know, coming back in spades in Microsoft, but that's really kind of the only one. Matter of fact, I, can I even remember who the uh, the top five that were forty-some percent of the QQQ back then? I believe were Microsoft, Oracle, Intel, Cisco, and I'm going to say Dell. And I'm and I'm also going to say that only one of them, Microsoft, is higher than it was back in 2000. So you have to be really careful in these these super dominant stocks because they reach these levels and they're just they're just high. I mean, right now I mean, it's different. These places are, are probably uh, I would say Cisco and Oracle and those stocks are much more of a one-trick pony than Apple is today or Google is today. Or but now Facebook, if, if that was one of your big holdings, you've done nothing to get hammered in there. So you really do have to. I mean, just just keep telling yourself these things are investments, and sometimes they're a good price to get in, and sometimes they're not. And And it's not like, you know, uh, you, you, uh, let's put it this way. I'll be, I'll be gross here. Uh, the head of Apple is not going to come to your funeral, you know, so you don't owe the guy anything. The stops, the stack is, you think too high, you get out or you buy puts or you do something. Don't, don't feel like you're in love with these, with these things. Although I have people that, that their entire life changed because they all bought a bunch of Apple and have ridden the thing forever. So. That's fine, and I, and I congratulate you. And by the way, I'm, I'm somewhat jealous. However, don't get lost in the part. <laughs> There's going to come a time, maybe when you don't want to be an apple, and maybe it's not today, maybe it's not ten years from now, maybe thirty years from now, but there will come a time. The uh, so uh, Andrew, um, what do you we uh, we have we have no one, Kenny. So uh, uh, he is. I don't know if he, if he texted me or not, but may, uh, whatever. So what? When you, uh, what is the status over at, oh Andrew is a recent graduate of Columbia College, where Eric May, uh, a contributor to the show, teaches. And what what are you seeing? I mean, I don't know how much you have your finger on the pulse of this. Eric tells me that uh, a lot of colleges are struggling for enrollments. Is that something that's obvious if you're if you're there, or is it just just mm-hmm. in the weeds? I mean, it's just a kind of a, the administrations are feeling it. You know, instead of having three applications for every spot, they've only got two. But is it actually... Less people walk in the door that anybody can notice?
6: I definitely don't think I've seen anything. Um, especially with with Columbia specifically, I I think that, you know, uh, it's just such like a kind of like dream place to be, you know, because it's an art school, um, film school mostly, um, that that really it's a lot of people come in and then they don't make it all the way. It's more the the opposite. Yeah. I've seen, uh, a lot because there there's there's some things like because um, I love Columbia, but there there are things like uh, like a lot of my friends are like comedy majors, and you know it's that's a really tough thing for people to stick around with for a oh, long time. that four
2: years or two?
6: It's well, some people transfer, but it's a four year school. I mean, uh, you don't take it mean, must be some basic stuff. You don't take comedy for four years, do yeah? you? You got the uh, you know gen eds and everything, but uh, they really are like. a a pretty small part of it all. Um, I think when it comes to the comedy major, it's a lot of, like, theater and performance. Um, but I don't know. I've, I've always just seen it as something, you know... You can't just, like, go to school for that. You gotta, like, do it.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> where, do, where do you guys go? Doesn't uh, Second City have a, have a school as well? Now, is, that, is that any kind of accreditation,
6: or is it just people just go there? I don't believe so. I could be mistaken. But... Um, no, as far as I know, all the uh, classes and everything at the comedy clubs in, in Chicago are all just, just, you know, they they just let you do more things at that place, essentially. It's like, if you take a bunch of classes at Second City, your chances of getting in a show there are, like, slightly better.
2: Slightly better, okay. And then you, you, you go in as what? You're just like the, the man at the end of the bench, and if you're decent, you get to actually say something, or what? Well yeah maybe <laughs> well I mean it, it seems to me a couple, few times i have been to Kentucky city in a while, but it seems to me if you're on a stage you're talking I mean there's no you're not hiding I mean you're you're saying something
6: yeah yeah well it's it's definitely uh you know because I personally um I you know came from the suburbs, did comedy out there and came to the city and it is just certainly like it, it's not competent well no there's just there's just more competition to it. Um, you know a lot of people want to do it out here, especially with Chicago being like the improv city. Um so it's very it's very easy to come out and try it at like you know like open mics uh but to really get on a show or even you know get paid for doing a show that's like pretty rare i think
2: what is a is a different skill set is i don't i always forget which is which but mm. uh the the stand up uh, which which is the one that tells jokes and which is the one that tells stories in a funny way one's a comedian and one's a comic which is which oh they're, they're oh. two different things. I mean, like uh, um, if you went to see like Red Fox, he was more of a or, – or Rodney Danger was more of a joke guy. Yeah. Or Johnny Carson would just tell a story in a way that would have you laughing. He, he would never actually tell a joke. He did, well, not never, but he would just tell stories about, like, growing up in Nebraska <laughs> or, or or being uh, – I, I saw him at the, uh, the Sahara – not the Sahara, the Sands in uh, – in uh, Vegas, at the same room where the Rat Pack was there for, when they did Ocean's 11 or whatever. That hmm. was the toughest ticket to get, and the deal was, the Rat, Rat Pack, probably before your time, was Frank Sinatra and uh, Dean Martin and uh, Sammy Davis Jr., and I'm not so sure Peter Lawford was in on this one, I, I don't think he was, but uh, they were doing his movie, and the story was they were going to let him stay at the Sands, like for free, if one of them did a show every night in the Sands. The Saints didn't have a really big showroom. It was an older casino. But it was a nice little sh- I mean, it was... If you went in there for a table for four people, the table, you got like four drinks with the show. The table just held the four drinks. It was like a you know, <laughs> pizza platter in the middle. <laughs> um, but anyway, the uh, they ended up... All three of them did the show every night. And it took like several months to do this movie. It became the toughest ticket in the country to get. Hmm. People were flying from everywhere just to, to see these three guys every night. And they... They would go down there and do a show, because obviously they had singers, they had, they, they had guys that did, did comedy. And then they'd bring out the big bar, they'd all start drinking, and everybody would go play, play, play. It, it, was, it was unreal. Uh, but that, that was the same room that I saw Johnny Carson in, so it was kind of a classic sort of thing. And now, of course, the hotel's rubble, and there's a place <laughs> that one of the big... I think that's where the... Uh, I don't know, it's one of the big, huge nuances there. But uh, it was it was an interesting little place. But, no, I mean, are all these are everybody getting jobs in, the, in these... Uh, what did people do during COVID? There was no comedy, there was no bars, there was no live entertainment. Whatever we do, just nothing.
6: Yeah, uh, that that yeah, that was a very personal thing for me, um, because it just kind of went away for two years, and honestly, it still hasn't recovered. Um, my my favorite place on earth, uh, the Comedy Shrine, out in Aurora, Illinois, um, was was where I started comedy, where I learned it, and. Uh, my general understanding of it is, you know, COVID hit them. And especially during a move. Uh, they were moving locations. And they just never got back on their feet fully from it. Um, and I think a lot of comedy clubs just did the same. But, but yeah, when it comes to the actors or the improvisers, um, I think we all just tried to adapt in our own way. Uh, I know some friends who tried Zoom improv. Oh, okay. God. And, yeah, that was... Never I could never hop on that. I did some classes like that and it just it's just not the same. Um but thankfully we've gotten past that point. Uh well how
2: many places are that were if, if there were I, mean, I don't even know the numbers it's been so long since I'm out late I get up early to the show every day but mm-hmm. uh, if there were ten comedy clubs, how many are how many are now are working?
6: Is it six, eight, all ten? Hmm. Well, a lot of jazz clubs have closed. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't be exact, but I'd say I'd say maybe yeah, maybe like eight out of ten, seven out of ten.
2: Yeah, they came back same owners and uh I mean it had and boy those guys, I mean there was no way you're gonna do carry out food and beverage and stuff like a, a regular place. They were just out for two years.
6: Yeah, exactly. Um if you if you're not aware that it was uh for Chicago specifically, the uh in Chicago you kinda got the big three. You got the second city, uh IO, which is improv Olympics, and Where is that? Uh, North Side. Um, I couldn't tell you exactly. I don't, I'm sorry. Ever, I don't
2: think I've ever been there. What's, um, th-
6: what's the third one? Oh, and then the Annoyance Theater. Um, but what I was getting at is that the uh, IO Theater actually shut down, uh, which was like a big thing because they they were a, a, a huge name in improv. Um, like a lot a lot of people who who you've seen in shows and stuff have come from there. Um, and I believe now they've found uh, a new buyer and are actually planning on reopening. Um, but that was that was like the big, like, because uh, this happened like way earlier, like mid-COVID. This wasn't just a recent thing. Um, a big, like, shock to the community, I think it was.
2: Well, did uh, Fitzgeralds ever reopen? Or were they, were they guys, did he sell? Or what's he doing? The one out west? They, I know it's a lot of it, It's music to let people play. But uh, uh, I think they do a little bit of comedy. But he was, he was planning on shutting down, I think. I don't know if he did.
6: Yeah, that one I'm not familiar with.
2: We went out there to see uh, one of the guys, who's a uh, kind of a weird story, but about people being different on stage. Uh, one of the guys, uh, he's been he's been a uh, contributor to the show a few times, but his 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 assistant was this uh, this lady at the accounting firm where he worked. And if you looked, at, I mean, I met her a couple of times. Very nice, very very attractive, very nice, but just very uh, I don't know what you would call it. Not much of a sense of humor, not much of a. I guess the, the term cold fish would come to mind, even though you don't want to call anybody that. Well, she also was a singer. You know, so he goes, Hey, you got to go out and see her, her sing. All right, I, I drive all the way out to Fitzgerald's. She gets on stage, and I'm like, Is that the same person? She looked like Linda Ronstadt, for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, she was spectacular. I'm like, w- Where is this personality? Talking to you. I mean, but I mean, I—I she was unreal. I mean, and there were some people. If at that night, they were all just rank amateurs, and every one of them was good. I thought there's a lot of people around with talent. It seems, you yeah. uh, know. I mean, how do you, how do you get a break out of there? Just somebody sees you and says, you know, I'll do something? What's the what's the next level? I guess from a, in, I mean, you're not going to get a, you know, a, a, a something caddyshack from an improv place. What's <laughs> what's the what, if somebody sees you s- says you're good, then what happens?
6: Well, yeah, that 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 getting a movie role right out of a simple improv show is always the dream, but it's kind of like. The way I see it is is you just have to know someone, and it's typically just you're doing a show and someone just comes up to you and says, "Hey, I like this, come do it for me um at their place or
2: uh, or, or like in a in, as part of a group or as part of a of uh you know
6: a theater or i mean just or just by yourself. I think it depends on the act um for stand ups I think that's definitely how you get noticed. You do stand up at an open mic. Uh, And exactly that. Someone will be like, hey, I have my own show. I want you to come and open for me. Um, Okay. Improv is a completely different animal where uh, sometimes it is team-based, where uh, it'll be something similar where a team is already made and they want you to join them. Uh, Or it can be... Because improv can be less official in a way. Because it can be teams that people make themselves, or it can be kind of hosted by the... um, by the by, the theater, and they have their own set team that you might have to audition or get into, okay. like that.
2: So you could be the next Slappy White. You know who Slappy <laughs> White is?
6: That one, that one isn't in my wheelhouse. He he opened for Red Fox for like decades. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> he
2: was really, he was really good. But he, but he, I, I saw. We a t- got a actually going to break here, but I saw. I get a lot of this. I saw Red Fox two thirty in the morning, triple X rated show at the oh. hacienda <laughs> in Vegas. And Slappy White opened for him. He was he was hilarious, but but Red Fox was a. Uh, uh, let's just say it was an interesting show, and we'll leave it at that. Yeah, uh, three ladies. We walked out because they were they're they're younger than me now. They're going, I can't believe I was so dirty. <laughs> what do you, What do you think? I said, What do you think? Triple X two thirty in the morning means? Like, really. <laughs> anyway, S P Futures down nineteen now, NASDAQ Futures down seventy three. Back with the Professor Helsner.
5: Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, owner of Home Source Realty and frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks Radio Show. If you're thinking about purchasing real estate, this summer could be a good time to shop around. Whether you're a novice or seasoned investor, low interest rates and a good inventory make adding bricks and mortar investment to your portfolio an interesting possibility. Many a great fortune has begun with the purchase of property. Call me today for your personal investment consultation, and I would be happy to get you started on your path to prosperity. You could reach me at AudreyJohnson at Realtor.com, or call me at 708-349-3456. That's
3: 708-349-3456. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, and jocks. stocks
5: and jocks. You are out of control! Right
3: here, right now, right here, right now, right now.
2: Something happening Mr. Jax, I'm Tom Howell. And on the board. SP and p futures down on 21. We keep leaking down here. Nasdaq futures down 79. Nasdaq not so much, but the uh, uh, the S&P continues to leak a little bit after we had an update uh, yesterday. Do we have the professor? The, we'll, we'll get him in a minute. We'll, uh, so again, we'll, we'll, we'll dig through some of this other other stuff that's happening here. I think uh, one of the I always talk about it every morning. So I'll give a. Uh, a view of exactly where we are. This hang Hang saying that uh, I, I talk about the thing was twenty nine thousand like a year ago. You know, so it's it's one of those one of those markets you have to be you have to be care, careful in some of these things. I mean, they they uh, you know we have we have you have to constantly look at what's going on around you. Like I was talking about earlier, how if you have an investment, in what you need to do here, and it's I, I always will say that it's nice to be protected, especially if you're. Maybe a little bit older or something, but I will. We have a whole bunch of people that we protect all the time using the options market as a protector, my, you know, puts and so forth. But the price of price of protection is very high, and uh, the interesting thing about um, protection in the market is the price of things. Professor, how are you, buddy?
1: Doing well. Just got off the subway about thirty minutes ago. And you made it. Yeah, yesterday we had a, an adventure on it. My first major adventure. Apparently, people were jumping the turnstiles uh, in uh, Atlantic Avenue's terminal, and they had to shut down a line, <laughs> something like that. Oh, good. And I had a I had a hop I had a hop train, so I got really good at hopping trains.
2: You had a hop a train.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I had to get off the uh, four or five and jump on the R, and then hop off the R and jump on the B. and Q.
2: Do you have this all in the back of your mind now, or you got your map out?
1: Well, my, when I told my wife about it, I got home, and my brother-in-law, who's at Columbia, and my mother-in-law and my father-in-law were all laughing about it. Because <laughs> I was able to get home by hopping trains, right? They didn't think I'd be able to do it. My yeah. wife actually probably literally thought, I got off the train and just decided to walk home.
2: <laughs> well, it's hard to walk from Manhattan to Brooklyn.
1: Well, by that time, I was uh, in Brooklyn, but it would have been a long walk. Through
2: Brooklyn, you you can walk across the Bru- the Brooklyn Bru- Bridge, can't? Hey? Well,
1: Brooklyn is the whole Brooklyn's the whole county of Kings. Brooklyn well, is Brooklyn is filled the county of Kings, and Queens is actually 100 percent urban. And it's Queens actually refers to the whole county of Queens, right? So you got Kings County to the west of Queens County, and then then you got uh, what's called Long Island, the counties to the east of Kings and Queens.
2: Yeah, that's uh, people in uh, the Midwest uh, don't necessarily realize that New York has several counties where I think Cook County, which which is in Chicago and all the suburbs, is by far the biggest county in the country, isn't it?
1: Yeah, probably, yeah. These counties are huge. Like, the county that Brooklyn fills Kings, it has more res- residents than the whole state of Idaho by a factor of three. So when you win a state championship in Idaho, nothing against that but it's nothing like winning a county championship in Brooklyn, right?
2: Well, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, you know winning a softball tournament in God knows where versus in, in Chicago, right?
1: Yeah, Bruno, Idaho, a town of uh, 60 now. And Bruno, Idaho is where I went to grade school, junior high school. But that's uh, a town of 60 now. And winning a softball tournament in Bruno, I mean, that might be a big deal in Bruno, but we're talking about a town of 60 people, right?
2: Uh, did you guys at least have a stoplight?
1: Uh, we have a stoplight. We had we have like First Street, Second Street, and Third Street, and then we have these two crossing streets, and that is the town.
2: Who's the guy that was? He just died. Is uh, it Harry Reid from Nevada?
1: Harry Reed, He was in Nevada. Yeah. I think Harry. Uh, Harry did very well for himself in the Senate because I think he was oh able yeah. to build all kinds of roads that enhanced his property. So, being a public servant uh, has uh, benefits, right?
2: It seems to have now. I, I mean, I, I again, I recall when I was real young, the senators came back from uh, Washington and they didn't have any money. I mean, uh, it was a whole different world. Yeah,
1: you know, the funny thing is, uh, Tom, we have all this media and internet, right? And I think it's going on more than it used to. Maybe right with all the video and all the internet, you would think it would kind of curtail that activity, but I don't think it does. I think it curtails corporations. And I think the reason why it it curtails corporations, like, for example, a business in Utah uh, was caught dumping chemical in the Jordan River. And it was caught by somebody on a cell phone from about a half a mile away or something. And they had zoomed into it. And it was on the news that night, and that company was busted that day. So the Internet can do that, but for some reason, uh, I think this, Self-service, public service uh, is probably more rampant than ever.
2: Well, somewhere, I, I don't, I don't know. I've uh, <clears throat> gone through this before with, with others, uh, legal types. Um, a lot of what we thought was, let's put it this way, in Washington, there seems to be kind of a, a mess at the dinner table between what used to be standards that people adhered to, uh, straight morality, <clears throat> the law. For every other person, and then there's law abiding to elected officials. There's like, There's yeah. like four, uh, f- you know, four pigeonholes there, and and they don't all cross. I mean, I was under the impression I'm going to mention I'm going to mention this in a while that when I was very young. One, uh, one of my buddies and I, when I first started doing anything on the air, I said, you know, I corralled this guy, and he goes, "No, you. This is back in the day. I mean, way back." Uh, he said, "No, if you're a representative or senator, everything's got to be in a blind trust. You're not trading when you're there." Because people have become representatives at a young age, and, and he was good friends with this guy named Marty Russo and a couple other guys in my area. They were all—they were all. Quick story. When I was, I think, in high school, now, the uh, or maybe I was just getting out of high school. I was in college. We had a constitutional convention here. How it, how it got started? You know, who voted for it? Why? What the? That I I don't know any of the history of that. But there was an Illinois constitutional okay. convention. Now, can you imagine this today? That everybody who who uh, ran who ran for the convention. I don't think it worked. Well, you worked. know what? Yeah. Every everybody who ran for the convention could not have been in politics before and could not be currently holding office. So you got a whole new generation of new people to go essentially write a new constitution for the state. Which, I mean, I I can't imagine that happening today, but but yeah. it did. And well, well, I think
1: that, I think that a better solution would be allowed to set the counties free. If the counties want to leave the state, I think divorce is awesome.
2: Well, but I'm saying what what Uh, happened was... If you're
1: in a bad marriage, I think if the county wants to uh, secede from a state, let them. Yeah, but how do you secede if you're in the middle of the state?
2: But it it said, I don't know if it was just a routine, it was going to happen after 50 years, whatever, but all these these guys went. The point of my story is all these guys are 25, 30 years old, and they're running for office the first time but you got your your, your name and the sign of somebody else's you know, lawn and so forth, all the entire generation of people, Marty Russo, Mayor Daly, I think maybe Mike Madigan, all the guys who has ended up being like legislators and everything else for the next twenty years. This is how they all got their start. Anyway, so but they they all go and they uh, they write this new <coughs> constitution and, and Marty Russo is one of these guys. Well, he ends up well, my buddy's buddy saying, oh, he doesn't have any dough. He was making at that time. He's making twenty five grand a year or something, being a U.S. legislator, maybe thirty. Being Tom,
1: the, what year was that about? This
2: is in early seventies. Okay, guy- well, was
1: that about the time where uh, I read about this in Illinois because we were talking about one day and after the show, I was a little curious, and so I looked it up. And at one point, uh, representatives to the Illinois House they were apportioned by kind of a federalist system where the county, it was about uh, county instead of population.
2: Well, maybe, I don't remember any of that. but
1: I but, think that might have been part of that, because I think it happened about
2: the 1970s. Well, I think where I'm going with this is that you, you, you were talking about the people in, in Washington making all this money. is The story back then is you, you had to uh, put your money in a blind trust. He goes, he goes, this guy is not doing anywhere near as well as the other people that graduated law school the same year in terms of wealth. And, and he never, and he became a uh, representative, I'm going to say four or five terms. And then, of course, we lost somebody and he had to run against his best friend and he lost. But I'm not, you know, bleeding hard for the guy. I'm just saying that he, it was not a, he didn't come back with $10 million bucks. You know, Paul Simon didn't come back. He was a senator forever. He came back and taught, you know, whatever, government at Eastern Illinois or someplace. I mean, Adley Stevenson did not come back. These guys, I think it all happened. I think it was all kind of, I don't know if it was ever law. But it was kind of convention, and all of a sudden, I, I think, I think, that I could be wrong here, the guy who, who changed it was Cheney. When he was like mm-hmm. the vice president, and he and the, he had Kellogg, Brown, and Root was one of his big holdings, and I think he traded it while he was in there. And people kept yeah. saying, uh, hey, this is wrong, you can't right do at this. At you, know, you This is wrong, you can't do this. And he basically set up yours, and evidently there wasn't a law, or nobody ever called him on it. And kind of ever since then, it was like, dare me. I mean, and, and I, think, I think at one point... They, there, there was a law passed that said those guys couldn't trade, and I think the law got reversed in the Obama administration. So now they actually can trade. I've
1: been thinking about this a lot, and I'm trying to figure out why it happens. And I think it's because the politicians have so well de- uh, um, divided us. There's a team with the letter D on their uniform, and there's a team with the letter R on it, and the team with the letter R has their cheerleaders The few in academia, they have their cheerleaders in the news media. The Dems have their cheerleaders in academia, a lot of them, and they have their cheerleaders in the media and everything this on these teams. And when you're in a team, Jim Brewer he mentioned this. The comedian mentioned this on his podcast. I was listening the other day. And when he was a Mets fan, you know he's a big Mets fan. He's on that team. He's going to root for them. He, He. he hears about players beating their wives, and he's making the excuse, oh, no, no, uh, we don't know what's going on really, so it, it, it's okay. Uh, they probably didn't do it. But that's what happens when you get this team mentality. And you got the Ds and the Rs, and then you have the people that are unplugged from that system. And I've been red-pilled. I, I think I've been red-pilled since about 2009 or eight, when I realized that, because uh, I was a Republican. I grew up in Idaho in eighty. It seemed like 80% of the people I knew were Republicans. So I grew up in Idaho. I was pro-business. And then I realized I was a libertarian. And I, I realized I was libertarian about 2008 or nine, And that's when I really started uh, pulling myself out of that political matrix. And I'm not in it now. And, boy, being outside that matrix, that, that R team and the, the E team, it, 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 it's pretty interesting to look at it from outside of that system.
2: Well when you I've, I've been on that I think you sort of joined or maybe you were there before me but I'm convinced that this is this massive brush fire where people argue with themselves against the other people all the time and meanwhile somebody in the middle is stealing all the money
0: yeah <laughs> well, I, mean, I, it, I think
1: it's I think it's uh, a brush fire like you said you create a distraction and then you uh, rob the bank right yeah I mean that's what mag- magic is right you create a deflection yep and you uh, you do the reveal right
2: well, I just—I
1: uh, think it's a big magic trick.
2: Well, we've been—we've been talking, boy. You know, not so much on the show, but with people that I bump into. This, you know, everybody's throwing the, the busloads of, uh, uh, you know, people out of Texas and the Illinois and you know Martha's Vineyard and all kinds of stuff, uh, and everybody's reaction to it. And we've had a couple people on the show that are seriously on the right, and of course they're they're against whatever Biden was doing, and they like what Trump was doing, even though nobody really knows what Trump was doing versus these guys. It yeah. it, it it's funny to me that uh people and there was there was uh, to inflate this even more, there was an African American guy who was on uh whatever at issue or whatever the, the local store is about this new law going effect here where they're not going to have cash bail, and he was all over on one side was okay, well, you know if you you know having money shouldn't be the difference whether you stay in jail or not which you know he has a point there. Uh, the bail system is obviously, but, but even even with the with the uh, you know anywhere you go, especially in Chicago, with these buses showing up, you can certainly get in an argument about immigration. Yeah. And and uh, and, I, and I would well, say, Well you get a
1: big argument because you know the governors from Florida and Texas are getting a lot of heat about busing yeah. them. I think DeSantis flew 50 migrants to Martin's Vineyard, but if you go back to the Obama years. I'm, I'm not sure if people know this because people get siloed in their media i try to watch media on all sides of the issue but the obama administration was flying people to twin falls idaho migrants to twin falls idaho and the biden administration was caught on video flying people to upstate new york from texas and so it's that right there that pushing migrants around the country that that's a bipartisan effort
2: Oh, right. these guys will do whatever they you know. They yeah. all they all read yeah. the other guy's playbook. They don't have none of them has an independent thought. It doesn't appear.
1: No, no, they're just DeSantis and uh, Governor Abbott are just using the Democratic playbook, and the Democrats don't like it turned around on them, right? Well, now, what I find ironic is these communities like New York, D.C., and Chicago are supposedly a sanctuary city. Migrants, so they yeah, but, should be taking them.
2: Then, not next door but to me. They're
1: really not.
2: Well, uh, you you can be, in there, but if a, if a bus shows up without any warning, you might have a,
1: a concern with that. But yeah, I agree. Really, I mean, I, but you know, but Tom, on the other hand, why why should all the communities along the Texas? Border oh, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Have to, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, they're they're they can't they they can not they can not absorb these people coming in. I mean, it's stretched in the school districts. It's stretched in the oh, yeah. uh, public not, services. With- so it's kind of got to be shared, right? If we're going to let this happen, it's kind of lo- got to let uh, it's gonna be shared, right? And I'm I'm actually an advocate of free my free flow of people across borders. I don't believe in borders. I think I think I think the the the, st- the tide of migrants will flow if it was a free market. You would have a the, the tide flow as soon as the wages. In the countries they're coming from, rise because you know, of labor yeah, is but in, in the country. They're in life. Th- rise, and equaled out of the United States, and that's when it would stop, right? So, it, if you had a free flow of uh, labor across borders, you wouldn't have these massive differentials in wages at the low scale. Uh,
2: I think you you are running into the same problem your uh, your hero Milton Friedman ran into, <laughs> because he he was of the exact same uh, mindset. And it turned out, don't take this wrong. It turned out he was flat ass wrong. What I mean, he that's how he got himself essentially. Uh, I won't say booted. That's uh, why he went from Chicago to Stanford. He was a big. Hmm. He was a big. Uh, he did some work for Allende, and he, he was never a fan of Allende. Allende was a brutal. Uh,
1: down there in Chile.
2: Yeah, he did some yeah. economi- economic yeah. work yeah. for Allende, and it's to just say the people right. in Chicago were outraged because Allende was killing killing people. And Milton Friedman's view was, not too far off from yours, was that if you could bring some semblance of economic freedom to a country, that political freedom would follow. And that was his theory, or his assumption.
1: I I, I don't think that will happen unless the culture changes. And culture takes, you know, centuries to road.
2: Right, so uh, I... So, uh, yeah.
1: yeah... I'm not sure that would would happen. No, it didn't. Right? <laughs> Obviously, revolutions. Mean, revolution. There's no such thing as a revolution. Right? Well, his, you guys his, one dictator is replaced with the next, right?
2: Well, his point was, if if in Mexico, if for instance, if we put some factories down there, and this was this was all through academia those days, which might, might have been, well, I think it was before your time, uh, but not that you haven't read about. It, don't know about it. I know you have. Uh, but the the idea was, if we put some factories in Mexico even though we're, we're losing jobs to Mexico in the short run, all the people down there that are now making Chevy pickups, they're gonna go from three dollars an hour to fifteen dollars an hour and they're gonna become all customers and twenty years from now, Mexico is gonna be a thriving place and people are gonna be buying so much crap up here. It's basically the same theory as giving away giving away the, the shavers and charging for the blades, you know, that in twenty years we're gonna we're gonna make so many customers The the slight price we paid by sending some labor down there in the first year or two will be will be peanuts. Well, fact is they're still making three fifty an hour in Mexico, and they're still not buying stuff from here the way anybody predicted, because the the game. Yeah, I think
1: I think a lot of it has to do with the political corruption. Well, that's what I'm saying. Political corruption. Yeah.
2: So the point, I guess, my and and
1: the culture. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, the point the point is, or my point is not the point. My point is that if if we're going to talk about this stuff, we need to take. Three talking stupid heads from the Democrats and the Republicans and jam them in a room at Camp David and say, okay, here's all the facts. The facts, Jack, or what it was, uh, just the facts, ma'am, uh, Joe, Joe Friday. Uh, and put up on a blackboard showing my age. All right, there's, there's 70 million refugees in the world. There's 50 million people enslaved. We've been, we've been giving money to these 15 com- countries in sec- uh, Central America and Mexico for 40 years oh, by the way, it doesn't look like they're any better than they were other than the people we're giving the money to are even richer, and all these people want to come up here anyway. So yeah. how do we put this whole thing together in such a way that we, just like you say, we can't expect Jordan to take 4 million refugees and they only have 2 million people and us take none when we're the ones who wrecked Iraq in the first place and in, in, in Syria, right? So there, there needs to be some sharing of this burden, like you're talking about, and oh, by the way, if all we're doing is sending money down there and the people still want to come up here, we're just making rich idiots, unless our people are getting part of the money, which they probably are, we don't want to send money down there anymore.
1: Anyway. Oh, well, there's always a skim back, right? Yeah. There's always a skim back on these So the, Yeah, so the question is... I was in class is, yesterday. Yeah, so I, mean, I talking did? about these free trade agreements. These aren't free trade agreements. These are agreements, these are agreements between established corporations in the United States right. and established corporations in Mexico or China agreeing on a carteling agreement, right? We're oh, yeah. really carteling agreements. That's what they are, They're
2: not oh sure. Agreements. I'm saying that there, there, if, if there is a solution to this, the solution is going to involve, oh, by the way, if we, are go- we, we feel our share is 4 million refugees a year, 3 million, whatever the number is, you've got to spread it around. You can't just say that the, the Texas border towns are taking it. But you have to tell people, yeah. Chicago, your number is yeah. 50,000 or 80,000. Prepare for well, it.
1: I, the, way, you know? the way I see it, there's, there's uh, two choices. And I'm not going to say which one I in favor. There's one where you just shut down the border and don't allow anybody to cross. Or you have the op- the border wide open and then these these people coming here looking taking risk, wanting an opportunity, they have to spread these spread throughout the United States. And for the most part, I think they choose where they want to go because they're gonna choose places where maybe their family members are
2: well that's what happened when and my
1: in those communities they'll thrive because they'll have their family members uh, nearby and they'll be able to work together in these family units and they'll they'll build wealth and maybe they'll build businesses and make us all wealthier
2: well my both of my grandparents sides uh, were, were born in europe the irish side and the uh and the italian side and when, when they came here... That
1: must have been an interesting Thanksgiving, huh?
2: <laughs> well, it, well, actually, all the Irish people were dead. I, only, I didn't know anybody there on that side except my aunt. Hmm. Uh, but the Italian side, no. I mean, they, they all showed up, and they were all from uh, the town of Julianova uh, um, in, the, in the province of Abruzzo.
1: Well, what they had in common was their Catholicism, right? So that, that Catholicism yeah. probably united them. But so when,
2: they, when they showed up at Ellis Island... You had to kind of have a, sp- I don't know if you had to have a sponsor, but you, if you had a sponsor, it was easier. So the, the, they all had a big, a big conclave, for lack of a better term, in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. In Columbus, Ohio. So, as a matter of fact, one of the ladies, uh, she, she got my brother's uh, number on it somewhere. Long, interesting story. I don't know if I ever told you, my, my uh, uncle was killed in uh, going across some bridge into Germany in uh, World War II. So mm-hmm. somewhere along, there's a group now that reunites veterans' families with their medals. And wow, somehow, somehow, cool. somehow, his medal got kicked to these guys because allegedly they couldn't find us or whatever the hell. So anyway, some lady, um, she, I think she listened to the show. She called up my brother and said, "You know, your uncle's medal's at this place." So anyway, mm-hmm. I started talking to her about our our uh, history. And the reason why she knew the Howe name is because somebody in her family had come to this country, and in Ellis Island, the sponsor for her great-grandfather or grandfather, whoever that was, was my grandmother here in Chicago. So his first place, he said, where are you going to stay? I'm going to stay with, uh, God, what was her first name? Uh, her, 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 uh, my widowed grandmother somewhere in the back of the yard. So that, that, then she made a connection between her family and mine. And uh, so, that, and that, so she called. Her, that's how she knew the name. That's how we ended up getting the medal and all that kind of stuff. But the, but the connections between that that was her sponsor. I'm going to go stay with her. So that's why you ended up with like like different groups from Ireland going to different cities because that's where we have a lot of people in Chicago are from County Clare, and a lot of people in Columbus are from Julianova uh, in the Abruzzi province. Because those were who your sponsors were. So, yeah, I mean, you will end up if you end up taking five thousand people a year from Nicaragua. You're going to end up where there's going to be concentration in some cities because that's where the families all are and that's where they want to go, which is a, which is a positive, not a negative. I think. Yeah, I
1: think it's a positive. So, you know, honestly, Tom, I've been thinking about passports and borders and border walls for a long time, and they're actually artifacts of the state, and they're. They're the devices of force that force people into remaining in the country where the state can abuse them with taxes oh, yeah. and laws, right? It prevents them from choosing uh, a place where the state is not as hostile. So these are these are European uh, institutions, right? colonialist institutions, in my opinion, yep, that force people to remain in a country... That may may they may or may not want to stay in because the state has become so onerous in terms of its taxation rules and regulations. So it prevents the freedom free flow of people. And before the eighteen in the mid eighteen eighties, people could just go from country to country for the most part. which
2: It's always we got to go to break here.
1: Before Ellis you could just come to the United States. You could just take a you take a rowboat from Cuba, land on Florida, and start working in Florida without any. Papers or nothing, right? You just start working in Florida.
2: Well, assuming you weren't doing a hurricane. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, maybe maybe the wave, the wave, that hurricane, well, the wave got
2: pushed you all away. Cuba, right? Yeah, the, it's always astounding to me that I mean we got to go to break here. That I'll be, I'll be talking to people that seem to have something, and their the view of other people, you wonder if they ever look anywhere. They'll say, "We don't want those people here. They don't want to work." And I'm saying, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Somebody just had the balls to leave their hometown with their family with nothing but the clothes on their back and walk 200 miles risk
1: all kinds risk of, you're, That's you're, the kind of people we want you you're, you're, that you're, you're
2: telling me that, th- right? that that person's not going to get out of bed the next day and want to go to work what are you out of your mind I mean,
1: yeah I mean, we, want <laughs> a, we want people that are willing to take those kinds of risk.
2: i i i think we need a little injection of that actually i mean uh I said, what's the last so people time? Don't,
1: people don't want competition.
2: Yeah, well, that's it, I guess. A lot of these
1: rules limit the competition that they're faced with. So people want to be left alone, but they want government to protect them from that competition. Well, these rules are part of that.
2: We have a, a huge Hispanic population here in Chicago, and you know nobody's perfect. I tell you what, laziness is not part of the DNA. <laughs> it absolutely is not. I know, yeah. I mean, well, oh, my,
1: my mother-in-law, or my... Uh, my uh, mother, not my mother-in-law, my stepmother that married my dad, she was indigenous to in Mexico, and, man, she was the hardest-working person you ever
2: meet. Oh, yeah, and Audrey uh, has sold, uh, we have, I keep saying we're going to break, we'll break here in a second. Audrey has sold uh, three or four condos to uh, these young Mexican ladies, one nicer than the next, and the grandmother came here, I'm going to say 30, 40 years ago, put up a uh, child care center, now she's got four of them, and she bought all the granddaughters of condos cash.
1: Exactly. That's what we want in the United it, States. We yeah. want people who are willing to take risks.
2: Yep. Entrepreneurs
1: SP are the, the defining characteristic of an entrepreneur is taking that risk. Absolutely. Putting the money on the table and pulling the switch on that on that decision, right?
2: SP Futures down 29, Nasdaq Futures down 97. When we come back. Hal's going to tell us what the Fed's going to do. And we, I, want, I want to go through the same thing I kind of went through with. Uh, with um, my, uh, Dan this morning regarding these external risks. I do see if you have any kind of idea how big they are. We'll be right back. Stocks and Jacks. I'm sure you are aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we have always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTI Securities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTI Securities.com.
5: Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, owner of Home Source Realty and frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks Radio Show. If you're thinking about purchasing real estate, this summer could be a good time to shop around. Whether you're a novice or seasoned investor, low interest rates, and a good inventory make adding bricks-and-mortar investment to your portfolio an interesting possibility. Many a great fortune has begun with the purchase of property. Call me today for your personal investment consultation, and I would be happy to get you started on your path to prosperity. You can reach me at AudreyJohnson at Realtor.com or call me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Stocks,
2: jocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out
5: of control. Right
8: here, right now, right here,
2: right now, right now. Okay, Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen, everyone on the board. SP futures down on 27. We're leaking here. USDA futures down 93. Uh, Dow futures down 187. A, the rest of the Dow has uh, opened up here. It's kind of a sea of red, except for United is up 60 cents. And... Boeing's up. The big, big mover down is uh, Nike's down 318. Is they, they got uh, Barclays, uh, so they had all kinds of issues going forward, downgraded them, blah, blah, blah. So they're not, it's not sitting too well with uh, Nike, which is in the Dow. Not really an industrial, but it's in the Dow. Over in Europe, we've got Dax down, down 109.85%. That's more than it was a bit ago. Foots, Footsie, which was flat, is not anymore. It's down 21.3%. around down 68. That's 1.1%. They're the biggest mover. We're in Asia. We got the Nikkei up 120.4 percent. Shanghai up 6.2 percent. Hang Seng up 215, 1.16. Finally, a little dead cat bounce there. 18,8781 is the whole number. Uh, bands now up 830 seconds, 3.57. Some people are thinking the Fed might do a whole percentage point tomorrow. I don't think so, but uh, I just think it's 0.75. But we, we will see. Bund up 13. This is a big move in the Bund. 1.92. They're pushing 2 percent after being negative like two years ago. So that's a big move from one side to the other. Their bond portfolio has to be priced like garbage over there, the ECBs. Uh, Japan unchanged at 0.25. We're going to talk to hell about that in a second. Uh, oil up 44 cents. It's rallying 86.617. Brent up uh, 52 cents, 92.52. Natural gas up 3 cents but still under 8 bucks. 7.77 7. so two or three times in the last year if you bought natural gas over $9, $9 you get Shanghai'd. Arbob up 4 cents uh, 2.50 we've got gold can't possibly ever go up down 320 16.75 silver down nine cents 19.26 copper down a penny 349. despite the inflation the metals just will not get moving uh crypto we've got the bitcoin in danger of going under 19,000 again as it's down 345 and nineteen thousand we've got the uh the euro is well it was exactly one now it's 0.9964 so the dollar is actually above the uh, euro is under one dollar. Uh, the pound is back to 1.14 in danger of going under that. Andrew, what do you got for us? Trevi Weather Sports.
6: Alright, it is 737 in Chicago. It's Tuesday the 20th. Now, for sports last night in the MLB, the Cubs lost to the Marlins 10-3. to and the Diamondbacks fell to the Dodgers in a 5-2 game. But both of them have a chance to redeem themselves as today, the Cubs play the Marlins again at 540, and the Diamondbacks play a doubleheader against the Dodgers at 210 and 910 today. Now for Chicago weather, it is mostly cloudy right now, 63 degrees with a high of 90 and a low of 63. And at Phoenix, it is also mostly cloudy at 86 degrees right now, with a high of 97 and a low of 79. Now, for Chicago traffic, uh, there are going to be some accidents on the way out of the city. On the westbound Kennedy next to Diversity Parkway, an accident blocking the right lane has been cleared, but delays are certainly still expected. And an accident on the shoulder of the westbound Eisenhower near Harlem Avenue has been causing some pretty big delays over there. Now, on the inbound, construction on the inbound Stevenson has reduced to one lane between I 55 and 47th Street. Uh, but otherwise, traffic is building on the inbound streets as usual. No other accidents to report. That's all I got. Back to you, Chief. Um, so here's a headline. Uh, Beyond Meat COO
2: Doug Ramsey, an usual guest lecturer for, for Hal Snar, arrested for allegedly biting man's nose after Arkansas College football game. Is this one of your buddies, Hal? Who's that? Beyond Meat COO Doug Ramsey.
0: Well
1: hang on my phone is uh I gotta turn oh, my
2: volume up there you go. Uh he was, ar- was arrested I, I hear he's a buddy of yours arrested for allegedly biting man's nose after Arkansas college football game. <laughs> get a little I
1: don't I don't get that I don't get that passion anymore about college football.
2: The, uh, <laughs> Ramsey fifty three guys fifty three still no kid was arrested for terror wow. what is what the hell is this? Is arrested for terroristic threatening I have no idea what that is. And third-degree battery. What is third-degree battery? Is it is it listed under third-degree biting somebody's nose? How do you bite somebody's nose?
1: <laughs> well, I've been at those games and, uh, when I was younger. And I tell you, I, I was at Auburn, Washington State, back in 2005, I think it was. And I thought the Auburn fans were really polite nice. But the Washington State fans that traveled, man, they were kind of obnoxious. I'm a Washington State fan. Um, yeah, I, I, I know you. you get in those college football games, and those rabbit fans can. Uh, I mean, they they can go off the rails. Well, I mean, throwing a little alcohol or a lot of alcohol. It's the been Georgia a real. It's been the a night before,
2: but it's been a really yeah, long time. You gotta quick. It's Been a really long time, but like a really long time. But when you were a kid, once in a while, somebody would like get punched in the nose. I never saw, heard of anybody getting bit in the nose.
1: Well, I've seen referees uh, get. Knocked out, and probably because they were, you know, not ignoring the noise. They're probably engaged in the noise, and yeah. they probably get riled up, and they start talking trash with a coach or a fan. But I've seen fans punch referees out.
2: Oh, this guy got to go. So. Get a co- Is he got to get a COVID test after biting somebody?
1: <laughs> Maybe monkeypox. <laughs>
2: or monkeypox, like <laughs> I tell you what, imagine if we, if we just had a bar at some, at some, you know, some moon of the Alpha Centauri or someplace just watching the TV and listening to the radio in this country or in this world right now. It's got to be the funniest thing on earth, just sitting here watching this stuff.
1: Well, apparently, according to Jim Brewer, the uh, aboriginal people uh, of Australia think we're odd uh, because we're ants and we're in this hustle and bustle of life. And we never stopped to enjoy the afternoon, the sky, the clouds. We're in this this matrix. Yeah. Got to go to college. Get out of college. Get a job. Buy the car. Right. And I think they have. I think they have a point. I think they have a point. I think we have to sit back and enjoy life, man. And Life goes by pretty quick once you're 20, right? Once you get the license to drink, man, it is <laughs> fast. It just rolls. Steamroll. steamroller And <laughs> I, I feel like time is being steamrolled.
2: You could blith- I want to sit
1: back and enjoy life. I want to do less and enjoy life and do more with my family.
2: All right, I, I, have, uh, I have to ask you some serious questions here. As I was talking to Dan earlier, because he had a special uh, appearance on Tuesday um, because our, our man uh, Brendan is off in Africa chasing lions and elephants or something. Um, anyway, I, we're, we're talking about the, the Fed uh, performance, and neither one of us thinks it's been very good since like 1968, but uh, we specifically were zeroing in on not so much the... Rate policy, even though you can criticize that or say you like it as much you want, we were we were, we were zeroing in sort of on uh, their job is to keep watch for stuff that we we as regular people you you maybe can get this stuff because you had a- access to a lot of information at, at a university, but for for a regular person in 2008 to know how many how many how much money was being borrowed in Japan and stuffed into mortgages on this end, it's really not. You know, as much as I try and be on top of these numbers, it's not really something I can get my hands on, you know, international transfers, although Carl will probably tell me somewhere buried in the in the internet, and the uh, for the Fed, I could probably have found it if I knew what I was looking for. But by and large, you know, stuff's happening, and the Fed should be kind of keeping an eye on and three things I just lobbed out there, uh, you don't hear anything about this dollar-denominated Chinese debt anymore. And uh, I'm looking here this morning, and they claim it's like $2.1 trillion, that has been loaned to, to people in China. They didn't really go through the system, you know, through the central bank system and become a, a transferred into Rwanda and those kinds of things. It actually people just gave companies over their money in dollars or maybe euros, and that, that's what the loan is in. And Now those guys are having to pay interest. The dollar's gotten so strong that interest burden's getting higher and higher, uh, and you don't hear about that at all anymore. Now, I don't know if the Fed's watching it or not. Plus, I can't imagine what these... The European Central Bank balance sheet looks like when they bought all these bonds from all these places at zero interest rates, and now they're pushing two, I mean, what, what are those things are all, tr- they got to be trading at like 60, 60 cents on a dollar or 80 or something. I mean, th- those bonds that were issued at zero, and are these are these com- countries, especially the ones that don't have any money, are they going to be able to roll that stuff over, and when are they due? And, th- and the third thing, I just, this off the top of my head, what about crypto? I mean, what what if... The Bitcoin drops to ten thousand, and there's margin calls on that. Is I mean, is, is the is the Fed? What I guess you don't know, but I mean, is is the are these just grenades on on the on the roadway, or are they just something like me takes a look at and I shouldn't even worry about? Is any is anybody watching? I guess is my question. You know.
1: Well, I think yeah, it's just hard to know uh, when these uh, when the, these countries are running budget deficits, right? And they're they're issuing new debt just to pay the interest, right? And then when a 10-year bond comes due, they have to issue uh, a new security to cover that, and that interest rate's gone up. So, man, it can get ugly. It can, it can get really ugly really quick, I think. Um, and you, you see what's going on in Europe, and they got shortages everywhere, it seems like. And I was just reading something from the... the uh, from Switzerland about how government is proposing that people take showers together to ration water. I mean, I, th- I think government planners have gotten it so wrong, and everything they do to try to fix the unintended consequences of what they've done. I think they're actually intended now, but every time they institute a policy, it's got one or two consequences, and then they got to. Preach each one of those consequences with new policy and they just can't let it go they just can't let it go and you got this massive rube goldberg machine going on in all these governments throughout the world and you know they just can't let it go
2: well i'm gonna uh, i think what they have without uh without turning this into a um an odd kind of podcast i'm gonna say anybody who ever took a shower with another person because you wanted to i'm not so sure you saved any water did you
1: yeah because some some stuff happened
2: yeah you, <laughs> you're, you're, not, in that, re- you're I, not in a I, real
1: you're not in a real age that shower yeah, uh, will take a little longer to get over
2: with <laughs> I, I, I think it might too <laughs> whatever i just am just <laughs> but i guess here, here's a specific question i think,
1: I think taking individual showers Goes much
2: quicker. I I think <laughs> take it a shower. I would say with just honey, right? I would say just just turn the hot water off and have it be cold. It goes pretty. It'll go real fast. Just just. Well, that's <laughs> the kind of
1: thinking with these low flow toilets, man. Yeah. On a low flow toilet, you gotta you gotta flush the thing three or four times. I know it's it's crazy, right?
2: but a uh, specific question uh, because you were bringing up you know the uh, the balance sheet stuff. Let's say for instance, and we know a lot of this happened. I don't know you and I probably can't quantify it. Although if I spent all day on here and dug through every European Central Bank, uh, you know, issuance. I probably could find it maybe, so it's not fair to say they don't tell you. Um, some, let, let's pick a company, uh, my, my Italian relatives. Let's say Italy. You know, they have problems with their deficits. Let's say Spain, you know, Greece. I mean, you know, not that they're all south. Some could be north. All right, so they issue a bond three years ago at a really low interest rate, like almost zero. The Euro- European Central Bank, since nobody else will buy the damn thing, the European Central Bank, I mean, you and I were doing this show, and we were, we were lobbing around numbers like for some QCIP numbers, it for some specific bonds. Every bond here, every security has a QCIP number. Whatever they do over there, it's kind of the same thing. But they were owning, Central Bank was owning sometimes 80 82 85% of an entire issue. So in other words, Italy would put this bond out there that nobody really wanted the central bank, the European Central Bank would buy it at some interest rate like next to nothing. Well, now they got these things sitting there. And now it's, you know, 10, 12, 15 years, and out there are 20-year bonds or whatever. And nobody's we
1: can buy them, but now, especially if we go in a recession, right?
2: Well, now, but now we probably are getting within a few years anyway of having to roll the damn things. Yeah. I, I don't know if they're 15. If they're 30, they've probably still got time left. But if they're 15 or 20, well, now, now not only are they you know, a big weight in the bottom of the ECB's balance sheet because they can't sell them to anybody. But uh, how exactly now Italy's going to, how are they going to come up with another bond to replace this one when the Central Bank just took a bath on the first one they bought? I, I mean, I don't I don't see how the, all this gets any better here, you know, unless, unless... Well,
1: so, the ECB's going to have to pay for their, over the losses, man, Paper over those interest payments, right? They're going to have to paper over it. They're going to have to print money to cover this thing, man. And which, it's, it's going to get even worse.
2: Well, that's I think. that's my concern. I think. Is, is is there yeah. is there some point when, it, obviously, the hardest thing about it, if if you think a company is going in a crap hole, and you've done the research, or going to the moon, I'm going to say you're probably right, Hal. But the timing, I mean, Hal, when I when I started the business, it was December of 1980. It looked to me like the market was going to go straight up because interest rates had only one way to go, and that was down. I was right, but it didn't happen till August of '82. You know, it was a long time—two and a half years, especially when you're young. Uh,
1: so well, in your line of work, you know, day to day is a long period of time because people in your line of work watch the stock market every day by day. I'm not watching it every day. I, I uh, kind of get a feel for if it's, it's going to run up for a while, and I get I try to get a feel for when it's going to pop, right? Because the Fed's going to pop it. The Fed is trying to pop these bubbles right now. The interest, the the, the inflation rate came in hot last Friday. The administration has spent it off like it's not a big deal, but it's going to get worse because these interest rates are going up. That's going to cause widespread widespread unemployment as the Fed keeps hiking rates. The deficit is going to soar when people enroll in public assistance programs and unemployment insurance. So it's, it's going to get worse. And the Fed has one solution. The augmented Phillips curve says when the economy is running too hot, and unemployment is too low. We got to get that down by having high, persistent unemployment. That that right there is wrong thinking. It well, works. I would
2: agree. I think it's wrong thinking. Right?
1: But it's it works creating this persistently high unemployment to get inflation down. But the real cure is to unleash freedom to allow people to pursue their passions and profit off their successes and restore federalism. So there is a solution that doesn't involve high persistent unemployment. But that's what these people on the Fed team think. Right? That's what the people on the Fed team, which includes establishment Republicans and establishment Democrats, they think that's the solution. So they're going to let the Fed create a system, a situation where we have high persistent unemployment to get what they created under control.
2: I... uh... I'll I'll, I'll write this quick quick paper for you here, and you grade me. I'm going to say that, using all my experience of the last time this happened, 70s and 80s, I'm going to say that the the Fed really isn't fighting anything at 2.25%. I think they should do. I think they should do .75. This meeting, next meeting, they should do .5. They should get us to three and a half, and they should stop, because they've already stopped the growth of the money supply. So, I think inflation is is just because it takes a while to work its way through the system I think it will it will tone itself down at a high pri- at a higher price level than people want but it'll it will tone itself down and I think they should try and force like you say i don't know about big big changes like federalism and stuff, but they should make absolutely sure that the the people are trying to make entrepreneurs by you know having bringing stuff back from china and everything else you have to you have to force. Because at three and a half percent, that's still pretty cheap. Okay, now you have to force every man to be able to borrow for his plumbing company or for his metalworking facility. He needs to borrow under eight or ten percent. They never did that this last time. Only a few people got got the one percent rates or two. Not everybody. Matter of fact, it was very the credit card rates actually went up in some of the studies that I did. So you can't be having the people you think are going to be the entrepreneurs borrowing at 15-20% and getting anywhere. But everybody else is borrowing at 4%. So there, there's there's a lot of stuff within the system, Hal, that I think if you made attempts to fix it, you could at least try to turn this bus around a little bit without this massive unemployment that I don't think you really need, just like you.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the problem with stopping at 3.5 with our current groupthink at the Fed and amongst the politicians, let the Fed handle it, Congress is not going to have any responsibility. They're going to wash their hands like Pontius Pilate, right? Wash their hands, let the Fed handle it. The problem with stopping the 3.5, that's assuming that the federal funds rate, the rate that would exist if the Fed ha- didn't have a price floor in place on reserves, which is the interest on reserves rate, if you stop at 3.5 and somehow that, that market rate, right, is no, it's no longer binding if that 3.5 is no longer binding what's gonna happen is all those reserves that are behind the dam of interest on reserves once interest on reserves becomes non-binding and banks are lending amongst themselves at a rate higher than this now non-binding price floor of interest on reserves all that money is gonna come flooding out of the dam and we're going to have a hyperinflation. Well, I think I think you That's need the problem the Fed's got. All right, I would, I would That's go what back the Fed's to got right now.
2: I would go back to at least 10% reserve requirement. And I would stand up and yeah. tell Congress, if you if you spend another, if you pass another spending <clears throat> bill, which is your prerogative, you better tax it or you better borrow for it cuz I'm not helping you. I would well, say Well, I think
1: maybe what we could do what I would like to see done, which is never going to happen cuz I'm just one person. I I'm not in a herd. I'm not in the D-HERD, I'm not in the R-HERD, I'm just in the HAL-HERD, and the, not my wife's not even in this herd, man. <laughs> but if I, if I was running the show and I had my way, which I'm never going to have, this might sound crazy, but what I would do is I, I would inch up reserve requirements, like you said, until we convert all reserves into required reserves, and then have a, have a, a banking system where banks have to securitize... A thirty-year mortgage with the issuance of a thirty-year CD. They have to back up that thirty-year mortgage, and they have to have, provide an interest rate on that CD to entice people to lock it away for thirty years. And that's how you securitize mortgages. Well, if, if so you, I, would, I would probably go that way, but th- that's never going to happen.
2: I don't think if if the if the Fed did what I consider to be their job and grew the money supply by two two and a half percent a year, I don't think you need to do that. Because it would already it would already yeah. it would happen on its own,
1: well, right? I think in my world, you would need a situation where you need FDIC. You would need the lender of last resort. So it's never going to happen,
0: right?
1: It's never going to happen. But that's what I would try to do. Well, I'm I saying think I think, it would work. But right?
2: there are there are there are a series of steps that I actually think could get you there that aren't all that onerous. They're just common sense. I think. I mean, uh, look at all the mistakes these guys have made in the last. How long ago was 1968? Uh, 54 years, it's a long time. Right? And uh, I think yep. and you got to stop to start stop stuff. Although, whenever you start okay. and stop, well, every time you right say. Th-
1: right now, the situation we have with the Fed is completely different than the model they were using uh, before 2008. And so, what the Fed is watching is the reserves. If the reserves start flowing out of the banking system and that ex- ex- accelerates, what that means is that market rate that would prevail in the absence of this price for interest on reserves, it means it's really getting close to interest on reserves. Well they and if that market rate goes above it, then all of a sudden it comes out. What that has to do, it has to keep with no reserve requirement, it has to keep hiking the interest on reserves rate to keep reserves in the banking system.
2: Well from right? two thousand and eight through two thousand and twenty, before any of this crap started they had an average money supply growth of 8% a year with an average real growth of 2%, which is insane over a 12-year period. They, they, they oh, yeah, all, I agree. And I,
1: think, I think the reason why that money's coming out because those, those are the wealthy investors, right? They're yeah. borrowing. They can borrow from the, the, these banks, right? But the lending to everybody else, I think that money supply is growing. That money supply is growing at that rate because the people are able to get the loans are the prime lenders the big
2: yeah? Well, I'm lenders, and, and, it, cash and, balances you, and you run up your
1: leveraging all these purchases, right? Well,
2: you run up your prices, you run up your stock prices. And what percentage of comp- or the population owns 90 percent of the stacks? Well, duh.
1: Yeah. So this new regime, whether the Fed wants to admit or not, is what's causing the rift between the really, really uh, wealthy, the prime lenders, the investor class, that prime. Prime group of people who can get loans uh, and leverage purchases left and right versus everybody else, middle class and below. Well, you also have. That's what's what's causing this inflation.
2: Well, they went too far. And that's why it's
1: accruing to the rich, not to us.
2: Well, they they went too far. And so now you have regular people who still get a chance to vote calling their guy, going, hey, whatever you're doing, you better stop this. So the, the pressure from below is actually getting almost equal, probably, to the pressure from above.
1: Which yeah, I think the Fed has really got itself in a bind here because it's got to raise that. With no reserve requirement, with 0% reserve requirements, it, it's got to keep the reserves in the banking system that it's created. And the only way it does that, it's got to make the dam higher and higher and higher to I, hold those I, reserves by the, behind that dam.
2: I think you having no reserve so that's requirements. Why,
1: that's why I don't think you can stop at 35
2: well, I don't I don't I think you gotta stop the reserve, reserve requirement being zero, but Hal, thank you very much, bud. Yeah. Talk at you okay. next week. And don't be biting anybody in the nose. Just saying.
1: <laughs> what, what was the charge to te- I don't see do that no more. I did that in my twenties.
2: Well, what what they what do they call it? Terroristic something or other? That charge I didn't know they had one of those on the books.
1: I, SB- I didn't even hear about that, man.
2: Okay, SP Future's down twenty four. Nasdaq futures down seventy seven. Fed meeting today and tomorrow. Back tomorrow, stocks and jacks.
8: My advice to you start drinking heavily.